Welcome to Stories from the Midland, a collection of historic tales from Teller County and the surrounding areas. In today's episode, we're going to be talking about the life of Joseph E. Lane. This episode was produced by Gary Lane and Tommy Allen and is being presented for you by Tommy Allen. The great-grandfather of my very good friend Gary Lane is Joseph E. Lane, a railroad man through and through. He worked his way up through the ranks of the Denver and Rio Grande Railroad to become a popular engineer on the routes he worked between Minturn, Colorado and Grand Junction. He later worked for the Uinta Railway, taking on the challenge of engineering a train through some of the most challenging terrain a train has ever hauled its load through. Here, I'll tell you about the events of his life and his last train journey. Joseph E. Lane went by the name Doc and was born in 1849. Eventually, working for the Denver and Rio Grande Railroad, he performed the physically demanding duties of a fireman, the man who kept the locomotive's fire burning to keep the steam pressure up, and by 1890, was a hostler in the town of Minturn, about four and a half miles southwest of the modern-day town of Vail. Being tapped to be a hostler was an important move for him on his way to become an engineer, as it required him to understand railroad signaling, inspect locomotives and other railroad equipment, operate locomotives around the rail yard, and coordinate vehicle movement. And by 1894, he was a train engineer for the DNRG and a popular one at that. He would continue to be an engineer for the DNRG for the next 11 years, gathering stories from the rail. But one of his most significant stories occurred in 1900 when his life was saved by a 15-year-old girl. Nora O'Neill was born around 1855 in Divide, her father a miner and prospector. The family moved with young Nora to a ranch in Glenwood Springs around 1895 when Nora's father became a firefighter. On a fateful night in September of 1900, young Nora heard the rumble of large falling rocks and was worried that some of them may have fallen onto the train tracks. She rushed to the rail bed and discovered what she described as the biggest rock I ever saw, blocking the way of the train she heard coming in the distance. She ran home and improvised a torch from a stick of wood dipped in coal oil. Hustling back to the blocked railway, she stood stoically in the middle of the tracks, waving the torch in warning. The engineer and the fireman driving the train were stunned by the slip of a figure waving a torch in the dark and were concerned she would get run down by the locomotive. But she correctly timed her jump to the side at the last second. Doc Lane was the engineer of the eastbound Denver and Rio Grande train, and Jim Craddock was his fireman. The train was traveling at about 40 miles an hour when Doc spotted the small torchlight moving back and forth in the night. He quickly reversed the engine and applied the air brakes. By the time the locomotive did contact the boulder, it was moving at about two miles per hour. Nora had saved the train's crew and the 48 passengers. Emotional and grateful passengers surrounded the girl to express their thanks for saving their lives and a collection was made to present Nora with a reward. 
Later that year, Doc personally presented her with a gold medal and the Denver and Rio Grande Railroad provided her with what the Colorado Daily Chieftain called substantial acknowledgement. But Doc's interests went beyond the railroad. In early 1901, Doc and Jim Craddock began prospecting for oil near Woody Creek, a little over five miles northeast of current-day Snowmass Village. In August that year, newspapers were calling for exploratory holes to be drilled between 1,000 and 1,500 feet in what was being referred to as the Woody Creek and Snowmass Oil Basin. To this day, Pitkin County, in which Woody Creek sits, is rebuffing efforts for drilling. The Uinta Railway wound almost 65 miles through the steep and challenging mountains north of Grand Junction. It was established to carry gilsonite, a form of asphalt, from the mines around Dragon, Utah, to the transcontinental D and RG trains. The Uinta's milepost zero was at the D&RG's interchange at Mack, Colorado, about 22 miles northwest of Grand Junction, and the railway traveled northward, winding into the mountains until it entered Atchee a little over 28 miles later. From Atchee, the railroad turned northwest, traveling six miles to Crest Baxter Pass and continue another 20 miles, crossing into Utah to the mines near Dragon. Another 10 miles and the railroad reached its turning Y at milepost 62.8 in Watson, Utah and reversed direction to start its return journey. The Uinta Railway was an exceptionally winding railroad and required the use of special articulated locomotives that had, essentially, a hinge by which the front set of wheels turned independently of the rear set of wheels. This allowed the locomotives to negotiate very tight turns. In addition to Gilsonite, the Uinta carried passengers, mail, library books, and dinosaur bones. Around 1905, Doc moved to the small town of Atchee, Colorado to work for the newly operating Uinta Railway. As he was one of the first engineers to drive a train through the treacherous Uinta route, the Grand Junction newspaper, the Daily Sentinel, referred to him as a pioneering engineer and described him as a man of many peculiarities, but always an open-hearted, staunch friend to those whom he knew. He had a joke up his sleeve every time you met him and a smile that never came off. He was a man of considerable ability and was considered a good railroad man. The winter of 1908-1909 was particularly harsh, loading heavy amounts of snow on the Uinta Railway's tracks. On January 29, 1909, Doc and several section hands left Atchee on engine number three, heading northwest through Baxter Pass to clear snow that had accumulated from the recent heavy storms. The number three engine was a two-truck Class B Shea locomotive built by the Lima Locomotive Works in Ohio. It had three cylinders, weighed about 55 tons, and was fitted with a snowplow. Doc drove number three to clear snow over Baxter Pass, and he continued to clear snow as he headed down the heavily timbered, twisty 5% grade toward McAndrews Lake. 
about a mile down from the pass, as Doc encountered his first significantly twisty portion of the track at about 9 o'clock in the morning, the locomotive derailed on piled snow and rolled sideways off the steep embankment. It rolled once or twice, throwing several of the section hands off, and came to a rest about 300 yards down the slope. One of the section hands had life-threatening injuries, while three others only suffered minor injuries. But as for Doc, the locomotive had landed on the lower part of his body, crushing him. It was obvious to everyone around that he would not survive. He lived for about three hours and at noon died. His body was transported to Mac where it waited for his wife and daughter who were away from their Atchee home in Glenwood Springs. Doc's funeral occurred on February 14, 1909. A Mason, he was buried in Masonic Section 2 of Orchard Mesa Cemetery in Grand Junction, Colorado. The following year, on the first anniversary of the loss of her husband, Mrs. Lane wrote the following poem that was printed in the Daily Sentinel. It seems to me but yesterday when the cowboy came for Joe and said, your engine is ready, you're wanted to buck the snow. It seems to me but yesterday we heard him whistle in, so I'll put the old plow away midst the hissing of the steam. It seems to me but yesterday he pressed us to his heart and said, now don't you worry, just put your trust in God. It seems to me just yesterday death came to our home and took our dearest friend away, whom we shall forever mourn. Thank you for listening. This is Tommy Allen, and I want to extend a heartfelt thank you to Gary Lane for his assistance in researching this episode and for telling me about his family in the first place. And on behalf of all of us, have a great day. And should you find yourself looking out your windshield at a young girl waving a torch in the dark of night, you may want to slow down. We look forward to having you join us next time for more Stories from the Midland. References used in this episode can be found on its webpage. Visit storiesfromthemidland.com slash podcast.